Let's see. Wonderful. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's been so fun getting to meet a lot of you already this morning to see some familiar faces. Uh, like Justin said, I'm Brandon Worth. I'm uh, one of the lay elders at Soma Tacoma. It's been my joy to do that for about the past five years, which is crazy. Um, and we recently at Soma Tacoma went through a Jonah series too, which is really cool. So today I'm going to be doing a little bit of a recap of the story thus far in Jonah, in Jonah and especially camping out in Jonah 3. Um, and so I know Justin last week uh, taught on Jonah 3, 1 through 5. And I think it's really cool to get to come teach and hear we both get to communicate the story of Jonah, and we also get to see God's faithfulness and his character in us coming at it from different angles, right? So even though some of this might be a recap or a rehash of maybe if you were here last week, um, I think I, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will still continue to stir us up and that he has something for us this morning. Um, so... Let me read chapter 3 to us, Jonah chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me, and then we will pray and dive in. Jonah chapter 3, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that your character shines through this entire story of Jonah, that you are a God who gives us second chances. You are a God who is patient even when we are actively running away from you. You recommission us. You are kind to us, just like we see with Jonah, because I know that my heart is a lot like Jonah's, and I think that everyone here today can confess that, yes, we are like Jonah. And so, God, I just ask that you would please be with us. Please be, uh, just show up in this text uh, through things that you've put on my heart and maybe even things that you didn't put on my heart, but the Holy Spirit, you want to just prompt the people here today with. And Lord, we love you. We need you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. I, a quick story, I am a big Kindle user. 
I like getting in arguments about why it's better than a book. And people get very upset, I think, very quickly on that debate. But the thing I like about Kindles is, especially for fiction, you can have it so that there is no indication for how far into the book you are. There's no page numbers. You can turn off page numbers, turn off percentages, no indication. And I like that because I think sometimes if you're reading fiction, you can get to this point in the story where it's this huge climactic action but there's only like 10 pages left in the book. You can kind of sense this thing has to end immediately, or that person, Gandalf, that we thought was dead, is, has to come back and put a stop to this, because right now, the odds are not in the favor of the person we're rooting for, and so it has to be over, right? And so I hate that, that makes me mad sometimes. But on a Kindle, I have no idea where I am. I can get to the last page and be shocked that it's like, hey, it's over. I love that. But a while ago, I was reading this nerdy space book, and as I finished a chapter, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that was like so insane. That has to be the end of this book. That has to be the end of this series. Like, I don't understand how this can continue going. And I cheated, and I was like, no, I'm going to turn the little progress indicators back on. And I was 45% of the way through this book. And that like baked my brain. I didn't understand. Uh, why I'm telling you this, one is just get you fiery about the Kindle versus book debate. The second thing is I think a lot of the time with the story of Jonah, we think the story or the main climactic action of this story is the big old fish, right? I think if we went and grabbed 10 children's books all about the story of Jonah off of a shelf, it would probably end after Jonah got barfed up by the fish. And they'd be like, and then Jonah went off for all of his days happily, the end. And that's such a mistelling, if you ask me, of this story of Jonah, that really, today we're not even going to get to the full gut punch of this story. Because I think the gut punch happens in chapter 4 between God and Jonah talking. But to think that we stop, we, and I know even before uh, we went through this series at Soma Tacoma, that that, if you ask me like, hey, tell me the story of Jonah, a lot of it would probably have to do with the fish and not have to do with the largest mass conversion ever documented in history, that about 120,000 people repented. That's insane. And I know at least in, in my context, I've heard some people share that, that aren't believers, they'll say, you know, it's really hard for me to, to read stories like Jonah, to think of this big fish, and how in that it's not biologically possible for a human to live inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Like that's, and so how can I take this book literally? And that's a, a wonderful place to have a conversation. But I also want to say, go to the next chapter because someone is going to half-heartedly give a five-word sermon and an entire city is going to be transformed. Like, there is so much here. And of course, we have Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus, it's like that. We've got so many miracles happening here, right? And so um, we're going to be spending a lot of time today in chapter three. Something I'd love for you all and that I hope we can do together is listen, kind of keep our ears tuned to hear about God's character in this passage. What can we learn about God's character through chapter 3? Who is God and what can we learn about him through the way that he responds to Jonah and the way he responds to Nineveh?
And four key points that I'd love for us to, to get through and that we're going to kind of structure our, our time together on is one, we see that God's character, God is a God who gives second chances and recommissions us. The second thing is we see in God's character, he uses us even in the midst of our weakness. The third thing, God's character changes hearts and he forgives. He is a God who forgives repentant sinners. And the fourth thing, God's character and God's grace leads him to change his own mind. So a quick recap, God commissions Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. And it says in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And I'm summarizing here, but Jonah basically responds, nah, I'm not doing that. Gets on a boat going the exact opposite direction. Almost gets that boat sunk. He gets tossed off the boat. God appoints a big old fish to swallow him up. Jonah's in there for three days and three nights. In chapter two, we see Jonah prays to God with his final line being, and I love this line so much. In some ways, I think it's the thesis of this book. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the last line of his prayer. And then, bleh, the fish vomits him up onto shore. And here we are in chapter 3. So starting in chapter 3, verse 1, and our first point today, God's grace gives us a second chance, and he recommissions us. We see Jonah in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Friends, the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is holy, he is slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and his ways are not our ways. I can't imagine, if I was the owner of a business, maybe some of you are, that if you had an employee and you gave them a special mission, a special job, and they left your office, and not only did you find out they did not do the mission, the request you gave them, but they went out of their way to sabotage that mission, that you now have them coming back into your office, and you're about to have a conversation with them. I can't fathom that conversation not being, you're fired, like, get out, I never want to see you again. <laughs> or maybe you're a bit nicer than me, and you're like, okay, you can stay here, but for six months you have to go work in accounting. And you know, that's your vengeance. That could be your way of getting back at them. But for God, God's character, how he responds to Jonah, is he reminds him of the mission. It's almost verbatim the mission that he gave in chapter 1, verse 1. Go up to Nineveh, to the great city, and announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. He recommissions Jonah. There's a commentary um, that I wanted to read. I thought this was just really well-worded. It says, We have disobeyed God. We have run away from him. Some of us, like Jonah, have run away very far indeed. And does God cast us off? Does he disown us? No. He disciplines us, it's true. But having done that and having brought us to the place of repentance, he returns the second time to recommission us to service. 
Moreover, he comes a third, a fourth, a hundredth, a thousandth time, if necessary, as it often is. None of us would be where we are now in our Christian lives if God had not dealt thus with us. Oh, the greatness of the unmerited grace of God. We deserve nothing, yet we receive everything, even when we foolishly turn from it. So we see Jonah up on the shore, and God gives him a second chance. He says, Jonah, hey, we're still going. The mission's the same. It didn't change. Let's go. And I think that's a key point in this series in Jonah, is that God is on mission throughout this entire book after Jonah's heart, while on mission for the people of Nineveh. He is working on Jonah's heart while sending him out to the city of Nineveh. And that is so beautiful for all of us, right? That God is doing something in our heart. That when you're feeling a prompting or a conviction to minister, to be on mission in some way to your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, that is for the good of them. And he's going to use it to transform you and your heart in the middle of it. And so where are you today? Do you believe that God is a God of second chances? Does your life reflect that he has given you a mission? Or have you benched yourself? I know that that's true of me in moments of my life. I've gone, God, I have to repent. I got on a boat to Tarshish instead of being on your mission. I knew you wanted me to do this. And I said, no. I said, I want to do this instead. I hoped that you would forget that if I stopped thinking about that, that you would stop convicting me of it and I could go on and do my own thing again. But God is a God who wants to recommission you today. He is a God of second chances, of a hundredth chances, and God's grace gives hope to all of us runaways. The second thing I want to point out in this beginning of chapter 3 is it's fun and kind of funny that he gives him the same exact assignment. I think there's a part of me that can picture Jonah washing up on the shore and being like, whew, you really taught me a lesson, God. Like, wow, I learned, well, I should head back. Just for God to be like, no, the mission is still Nineveh. Here we go. Let me recommission you. There's this fun little book of poetry by Thomas John Carlyle. He has two of them. The other one's called You, Jonah. And this one's Journey with Jonah. But it's just this like almost poetic commentary on these different sections of this book. And I really love this poem he has for, uh, for this kind of piece. It says, this is Jonah talking. I will demonstrate my immediate obedience, providing you, God, comply with my demand for a more satisfying assignment. And that's us, right? Can you feel that? Like a little heart check here too is like, where in your life have you hoped for reassignment? Where in your life have you felt God say, hey, I, I want you. I have put you in this neighborhood to love this neighbor. And you're going, but God, do you know how much of a jerk this neighbor is? 
Or do you understand, every time I try to talk to this neighbor, they just ramble for hours about their own life, and they never ask me any questions. They never talk to me. Or maybe that's a friend or a family member that you felt a specific prompting from the Holy Spirit to be on mission, to engage, to see their life transformed in the hope of the gospel. We've gone, no, I'm going to kind of just cool out and wait for reassignment. I'm going to hope that if I continue to say no to it, God will give me a new assignment that I like more. Or maybe this neighbor will finally move, or will finally move, and then I'll get a reassignment. I know that's me. I'm speaking to myself here. Bring that before God today, family. Talk to him. Turn. Get off the boat to Tarshish. Trust that his plans. Because again, like we're learning in this, this book, that reassignment that you're hoping for is missing out on something that God wants to do, yes, for that person, that he's convicting you of, but also for your heart. There's something for you there. He's wanting to transform you into the image and likeness of Christ through that. So first thing, we see that God is a God who recommissions the runaways. He wants you to experience that recommissioning that Jonah experienced at the beginning of chapter 3. Second thing, so Jonah gets up, begins to make his way to Nineveh. And we need a quick history recap on Nineveh to really, I think, get a clear picture of what's about to happen. Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, uh, had a reputation. Nineveh was one of the most brutal and brilliant war wagers of the time. There are people to this day still studying their battle tactics because they were so intelligent and brutal. And while a lot of this reputation came a little bit after Jonah's time, we know that this reputation of evil was still prevalent because God brings it up in Jonah 1 verse 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. An archaeologist excavated wall carvings from a palace in Nineveh that depict a lot of this brutality. We've got a slide for it if you don't mind. Yeah, so they dug this up, and I actually am not showing you some of the most brutal ones, and I'm kind of glad it's hard to make out a little bit, but it shows um, Nineveh fighting against the Judeans, and they would impale people or skin them alive and then impale them and put them outside of the city so that if you were a Judean soldier, you would look out past the walls of your city and see your friends and family just up on these poles. That's the kind of people that we're talking about here. And this bottom picture is they had invented what you might see in like fantasy movies and stuff, but these um, transportable ladder type walls that they could just come take over your city, drop this wall, this ladder on you and just invade and move all of their heavy machinery type things uh, into your city. So they were very intelligent conquerors and warmongers. And so I I let you know that because I think the historical context is helpful. And also, I know as I read this book and as I learn more about Jonah, I give him a lot of flack for, uh, for all of the things he's up to. But I think we have to understand a bit, too, that this would be terrifying to have that mission of, hey, you're going to Nineveh. You're going to the place of your enemies that everyone in the known world understands them to be terrifying, 
monsters that skin your family members alive. Like, I'm going to send you there. Like, that had to be, in Jonah's mind, a death sentence, right? There is some of that happening here of Jonah going, I'm heading in here. God's going to tell, wants me to go and say, hey, repent. That's not going to go well for me, right? So there's some of that here. But so Jonah goes into this huge city. He makes it a third of the way in. It says that this city takes three days to, to travel or experience. He goes in, and on his first day, he says five words. It's five words in the original Hebrew. It might be eight in your translation. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And there's a lot of debate about this teeny tiny little sermon that was just preached um, amongst theologians. But one interpretation of this passage is that Jonah is actually kind of engaging in self-sabotage here. That he doesn't want these people to repent. And we're going to see that in chapter 4 too. Um, God told him to go into this city that's so large it takes three days to experience. On his first day, he just kind of makes it, barely makes it into the city, finds a good spot for shouting. And then we see that there's the, this little sermon doesn't fit with what we know um, from other God-appointed prophets of the Bible. Just like Justin spoke on last week, there isn't a direct turn from, like, hey, repent of this. God has shown us that you've been doing this. Stop it. Or a turn to and turn to the God of the Bible. Turn to our God. It's just a y'all doomed. Bye. Like, what ha- what's happening there? That's crazy. And so let's use our imaginations for a minute. Close your eyes if you have to and try and just picture this scene. Jonah walks into the capital city of his enemy. He makes it about a day into this massive city. He finds this good spot for shouting. And he bellows out, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. And people stop in their tracks. The hum of a busy city street turns to silence. And Jonah, probably expecting to at best be laughed at, or worst, skinned, holds his breath. And then Jonah's worst nightmare comes true. Something even worse to him than we've seen, than dying. The Ninevites repent. So what just happened? The biggest mass conversion in human history just happened through a coward with five words. And we think the inexplicable miracle of this book involves a whale. And that's amazing, too. Don't let me discredit that. But so Jonah came into the city, gave a half-hearted sermon, and through his act of self-sabotage, we can learn something that Jonah himself proclaimed at the end of chapter 2 and that he apparently forgot. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When God determines to pursue and to rescue... Even our self-sabotaged evangelism can't stop it. There is an irresistible grace at work here. The story is a clear picture of God's relentless pursuit of a people. And we see this a lot more in chapter 4, but don't miss that God is pursuing the Ninevites' heart while pursuing the heart of Jonah. 
Jonah is surprised by God's grace on the Ninevites, and it actually leads him to be angry with God. Another one of the poems in here that I really like is he says, I knew you were going to do that, you dirty forgiver. That's what Jonah says to God. I knew you were going to show him grace, you dirty forgiver. I love that, that war. It's beautiful. But he, God, is reminding Jonah, Jonah, you said it yourself, salvation belongs to me. I want to be in relationship with these people. And so I'm going to. I want to be in relationship with you. So I'm going to. And this gives me so much peace to know that it is God that does the saving. We see, too, in this verse, and again, I know Justin taught this with a different slant, a different angle to me uh, than I will, but in verse 4 and 5, we see it says, And he called out, the Jonah called out, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah spoke, they believed God. What can we learn here? It's God and his word that changes hearts. To say it another way, the power to save isn't in the messenger, but it's in God's message. In this passage, yeah, it gives me a lot of hope for my own sinfulness, my own weakness, my own sassiness of being a half-hearted disciple at times. That instead of patiently walking through the grace of the gospel with my children, I give, I'm okay with giving a five-word sermon. That I can be lazy I can be impatient with people. I can give a broken message. In my brokenness, I can try to share the gospel, but I'm so thankful that I get to do two things. One, repent of my wickedness, my, my half-hearted discipleship opportunities that I've wasted, and two, rest in the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. And I'm blessed to get to come along with him, that my job is to be faithful, to go, God, what does it mean to be faithful in this moment? How do you want me to present the gospel to my wife, to my kids, this coworker? And I get to trust that even if I felt like I fumbled and bumbled my way through that, that God, you are the one who saves. Salvation belongs to you, not me. It's not in how good of a job I did. It's in your faithfulness. I get to trust that. I get to rest, knowing that I don't have to wrestle at night going, ah, oh, I, I, you know what I should have done? I should have gone to John, to the book of John. That would have been a better approach. It's like, no, God, you're faithful. You're good. I pray you'll do something with that in my brokenness. Another piece, too, that I learned as, as I was processing with this, uh, with the Holy Spirit, this idea that, that Jonah spoke and the people of Nineveh believed God, is that actually gives me a lot of hope for how I understand my story of, and maybe yours too, of how I came to know Jesus, that I came to know Jesus uh, going into my junior year of high school and had a wonderful mentor that shared the gospel with me but also taught me some things that took a decade to untangle. Bad theology or, or hard lies, honestly, 
And I know I've heard in our city, in Tacoma, that there are people that say, I don't know how I can believe in God because of the brokenness of some of these people that are preaching this message. Or maybe you have, were led to Christ by somebody who no longer is walking with Christ. And we're having to work through, what does that mean? That Jesus, I came to know you, and now this person that led me to you isn't following you anymore. But we get to hope, and we get to find the peace that, no, this whole time, salvation belongs to the Lord. That God uses us, broken people, to share his message, and that he's the one who's doing the transformation. That my, that junior year of high school for me, that was God that got a hold of me, not that mentor. That was God that revealed and shone light on my dark heart. So I hope that gives peace to you too. So we see, again, that in God's character, God works through our weakness. Even in our brokenness, God has full authority. Third thing, God's grace changes our hearts and he forgives repentant sinners. We see in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a, path, a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So what did the Ninevites do with their belief? They acted on it. Even the king threw off his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and took it one step further. He sat down in the dust. That actually wasn't even enough for him. He issued a decree that not only do all the people of Nineveh need to fast of their wicked ways, but also the animals. It's like he wrote this proclamation. was like, we know what you did, cows. So no, you're fasting with us too. And what do we learn from that? We learn that when God calls us to believe in repentance, and when we believe and repent, God transforms us. Our actions change. Our actions are an evidence of God's pursuit and salvation. And God wants to continue transforming you and transforming me. He wants to continue pursuing you in your heart to produce fruit in you that shows the world that he is on mission for your heart while on mission for the hearts of those around you. Something that I've learned at uh, Soma Tacoma, even just trying to think of this in a missional community kind of context, is that sometimes we can talk about this mission. Okay, I, I understand God's on mission for my heart while on mission for others, but I just don't know what my, like, my mission is. Or as an MC, we just struggle to know what our mission is. And I think, you know, at Soma Tacoma, we had an era that was really beautiful and really fruitful where we had these very clear missions for our MC. Like we would have one MC dedicated to serving um, a, a high school football team that didn't have a lot of resources. And so people helped and served in that way. Or we had another MC that cared for mothers that um, maybe on their way towards abortion, and they're working with those moms to talk about the alternatives and those sorts of just hard conversations and the beauty of getting to care for these mothers. Um, and we've kind of come into this new era, too, where some MCs are just going, man, we're kind of all, we're from all over the place. Like, we're not all in the same neighborhood. We're all passionate about different things. Like, what do we do? And what's our mission? What should be our joint mission? And I've just taken so much comfort in asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, 
Let me hear anew the Great Commission. Remind me afresh what Jesus, you called us to in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just like God called Jonah to go and preach with the word of God with him, that we see in uh, three, chapter 3, verse 1, or two, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So he's got this word from God. So do we. We get to go and teach with the word of God, with Jesus Christ, with us. God's grace is on full display as he changes hearts and he forgives repentant sinners. Last one, God's grace leads him. God's character is so holy and so limitless, it leads him to change his own mind. And that's still, when I say that, it just breaks my mind. It says, when God saw what they did, when the Ninev- what the Ninevites did, and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Your translation might even say, God changed his mind, or crazier still in my mind, God repented. He can do that? <laughs> so, I want to just point out here that this Hebrew word that they're talking about, this God repented or he changed his mind, um, it has to do with this kind of meaning of he felt deep sorrow. It's almost kind of like our word sorry, that we can say sorry, like, oh, I dropped a bowl on the ground. I'm so sorry. As sorry as a mistake, we can say, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. We can repent and use the word sorry for that. Or we can say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And that's a, a sorry of compassion, right? And it almost fits that third, that compassion. God had compassion after he saw what was happening. And we see this, that when we repent, God has compassion on us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, like the Ninevites, we deserve disaster. We deserve destruction. And when we repent and ask for his forgiveness, he has compassion on us. And I'm so thankful that our repentance is possible because God had deep sorrow, so much so that Jesus took the judgment that we deserve. That Jesus took the weight of our half-heartedness, of our unwillingness, of our refusal to follow his plan. And when we turn from our sins, when we turn from our sins, we get to turn toward the face of Jesus of God, who is gracious, who is kind, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God recommissions us as runaways. He recommissioned Jonah as a runaway. He gives a second chance. He uses us even in our weakness. He is strong and mighty to save. He changes our hearts and forgives repentant sinners. 
And as we just saw, his grace compels him to change his mind. If you want to come up, you can. I'm just going to close with just kind of final thoughts. Please see that God's work in you is not over. That God is on mission today, right now, for your heart, for my heart. And that God is on mission for the people around you. He has entrusted you. He comes to us a second time and invites us onto his mission, into the Great Commission. He invites you to go and teach. And a message he wants to proclaim to your heart and to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, the unreached people of the world, is that God's love and mercy is strong enough to save the prodigal prophets and the wayward warmongers. And God's love and mercy is strong enough to change your heart and the hearts of those around you. Will you say it with me? Will you say, salvation belongs to the Lord? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can see like a mirror in the book of Jonah, that we have in our lives gotten onto boats and headed in the opposite direction of what you were calling us to, that in our own sinfulness, we have tried to hide or run from your mission. We have hoped that the sin that we've been trying to manage, that you would, if, if it just, we make it far enough, you'll stop bothering us about it. That maybe you'll reassign, uh, the, the Holy Spirit will stop convicting us of something. And Lord, we repent. And God, I just ask, Holy Spirit, show us each. In what ways are we like Jonah? In what ways have we ran from you? In what ways have we longed for reassignment? In what ways have we been half-hearted disciples doing the bare minimum rather than finding joy and hope in your mission, being excited, going, I get to be a broken person that's being transformed in the light of the gospel. And so that means I can go to my neighbors, my coworkers, and just watch expectantly to see, God, what you are going to do. I get to walk around wondering, what's God going to do today? Because you're up to something in my heart, in the heart of the people around me. So God, show us how we're like Jonah. And God, remind us of how you responded to Jonah. Your compassion, your grace, your love, that you would respond to him in such a way throughout all of Jonah, throughout this entire book, just reminds us of how patient and kind you are, God. That is the God we get to turn to and confess our sins to. That's the God we get to turn to and process and talk and ask and seek. And God, I just pray you give us a mission here in Federal Way, in Tacoma. Lead us to be faithful people that are excited to see what you're up to in our cities. Help us, Jesus. We love you and we need you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.